0: Fruits, or five pounds for a pint of fierce, or a daiquiri, any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds! Oh, Slight a foot there. Yeah! Yeah! Two nils
1: away. It is Madison.
0: Wednesday and you know what that means welcome to episode 75 of the ABZ football podcast I'm Gary Scott joining me this week as always it is Gavin J Baxter Gav how's it going
1: yeah so it's
0: 75 who would have thunked it what is
1: 75 like what's the what is that in milestone terms I know but you
0: know how you get a like gold or platinum or all that kind of shit like what's what 75 mean I don't think anyone never gets to 75 years of, like, marriage, do they? It's uh, a very good point. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's a fair Let's point. Have a look. Let's have a look. It is... Oh, no. A diamond. Basically, they replicate it. If you get to 60, it's a diamond, and then, obviously, people just weren't expecting to get to 75, so you just diamond again. Apparently. So we're in so, diamond squared. Xander diamond.
1: Xander diamond, Dallas page.
0: That's where we are. I feel like this is taking a very obvious right turn straight at the gates, Gav. Uh, people love it let's let's just uh let's keep <laughs> leaning into that shit even
1: more we're gonna do so later on with the uh, jeff's music corner so why the hell not yeah um all good all good here um obviously comforted in the knowledge that it is not coming home again everything's everything's fine and we're very we're so much we're that bit closer to the real football kicking off all over again
0: Exactly, exactly. Uh, Graham can't be with us tonight because Graham's been an idiot and has left his um, laptop that he utilizes for um, podcasting requirements somewhere else after his working it out on Friday night. So uh, that's a smooth move on the part of Graham, which of course means he'll just be getting the piss tripped at him for the next uh, hour and a bit, I'd imagine. And I guess, uh, first things first as well, a quick thank you again to Lee Scott for his time with us last week. A really good interview in episode 74 and a half. I think it really put some context in place for people about our new recruitment setup, how it, think it all hangs together, what the recruitment analyst role entails... The fact that Darren Mowbray actually exists. And I thought that on the whole, Lee was about as open as candid as he probably could be with us, given um, how recently he's been with the club. So, and also, Gav, big thumbs up to you because you had to step into the breach lastminute.com and do that interview after I got called into something else in real life. So, all around, top stuff.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And thank you to everyone that's commented uh, positively. It was a fascinating chat. We could have been there for hours and good to see that we're got people on the ground utilizing all the data to maximize our scouting efforts and bring us as good a player as we possibly can
0: absolutely and in a week that's sort confirmed as gavin said already that it is definitely not coming home once again cheers cheers that saw harry kane channel his inner darren Mackey. wait a minute what's that noise Shit, look at this, Gav. It's an Al Ria match ball just landed in the back garden. Where did that come from? The wonders of sound effects <laughs> that saw Cristiano Ronaldo exit the world stage right in tears and on his own, and that saw the Aberdeen first team squad hit Manchester for their Christmas night out. It's another busy week on the ABZ Football Podcast as we preview the return of proper football. It's back, it's back. The SPFL Premiership returns on Saturday with the visit of Celtic to Patology. We'll take our usual look at the latest news from the club this week before we'll take a look at our young team and our loanees and Lone watch. And after the break, by popular demand, we put the vote out there. We're going to bring you part one of our exclusive in-depth interview with the man who scored the winning penalty the last time the Dons won the Scottish Cup all the way back in 1990. It is the one and the only Brian Irvine. First, yes, whilst the World Cup winds its way towards completion in the Middle East, the real football is back up and running on Saturday lunchtime at the home of football as the Dons welcome the Champions Celtic to kickstart the SPFL Premiership once again. Gav, have you ever missed Scottish football quite as much as you have this last four or five weeks?
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, I... uh, the World Cup. I have to admit, I've, I've gotten a lot more into it as the as the tournament's gone on, especially when it's gone to the knockout phases. It's kind of picked up a level. But um, but yeah, it's always good to go back to what you know and what you can what you can trust and what we know and what we can trust is Aberdeen against Celtic. Patodrick usually know what happens here,
0: but let's hope that uh, we can turn the fortunes in our favor. Absolutely. So Celtic obviously come into the game top of the pile, nine points clear at the top. The Don's, of course, sitting in third spot at the moment. A 2 0 win for Celtic on the opening day of the season in the only meeting between the sides so far this campaign. Now, at the time of recording, after results over the weekend, we know that Croatia will remain in Qatar until Saturday minimum. So that will mean Jozef R- Juranovic <clears throat> will miss the game at Petodri. It's also I'm, not clear. I can't
1: believe the third place game at the World Cup is still a thing.
0: I know, ridiculous. The Absolutely most ridiculous.
1: Meaningless, pointless game of football that probably exists in the four
0: year calendar period. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Who won it last time? Belgium? Uh, who knows? Belgium beat England, didn't they? Belgium beat England in the third place or last time. Did they? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so Josip Juranovic will absolutely miss the game at Potaudry on Saturday. It's also not clear when the likes of Aaron Moy, Cameron Carter-Vickers and Daisan Maeda will all be available because Australia, the USA and Japan all exited the World Cup at the round of 16 stage, which I think for probably two of those teams anyway, maybe a little bit further than people were expecting. I don't know what the situation is, whether they'll be taken straight back and back in the starting lineup and back in the squad, whatever's going to happen. Who knows? It's not very clear. I mean, it's not going to massively
1: affect Carter-Vickers. I think I played as many minutes of the World Cup as he did. That's a bit harsh. I think he played a few, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, I think so. I think he played... Um, he I didn't play he... against England, so
0: that's, that's not the only he... game I took took, uh, uh, took any notice of when it came anyway. to the old uh, US of A. Anyway, Celtic with 14 wins from their 15 league games to date. Just the one defeat that came away, obviously, at Curtis Main-inspired St. Mirren in September. Uh, their top scorers in the league by a country mile. They've scored 50 goals in their 15 games so far. <laughs> A big helping hand, obviously, from the nine. The nine. Paradise uh, and six against Hibs. Um, they have also conceded the fewest goals in the league, just 13 in those 15 games so far. Kyogo, their danger man in terms of pure goals. He's got 10 in the league so far with Lil Abada and Jackie Makamakamakamakamakis in behind on seven and six, respectively. Matt O'Reilly with the most assists on seven, but it's Jota who kind of tops out their general average rating stats. So clearly the danger man. Of those 50 goals, 12 have come from set plays, which is the highest in the league by quite some distance. And that's nearly double Kilmarnock's tally of seven. Kilmarnock in second place in the league on this metric. Now that, of course, Gav, really suits us with our, you know, strength at defending set pieces this season. Solid as a rock.
1: Impervious to pain. The immovable object—that's what they call us in set-piece defending
0: realms. Yes, the immovable object meets the unstoppable force, the irresistible force. Yes, absolutely. Um, of course, this is even more heightened by the fact that Liam Scales will will miss the game on Saturday due to why his is loan. that, Gary? Why is that? Yes. Uh, reasons. Reasons. <laughs> yes. Doesn't <laughs> fancy it, doesn't he? Doesn't fancy it. No, Contractual.
1: Absolutely. Had it written into his contract. Just
0: doesn't want to do it. <laughs> Um, we touched on it last week when we did our recruitment review Liam Scales is actually the player on our team with the most headed clearance per game so he needs to come out of the team um, which will definitely weaken us from a defensive perspective definitely weaken us from a set-piece uh, perspective defensively and defensively you'd have to suggest so this is going to be something I think we, we we do have to look out for we can touch on um, what we think is going to happen in terms of Liam Scales his replacement system in a minute or two Celtic probably no surprise here very very clinical in front of goal They're are 37 goals in the league from open play They've come from an expected goals in open play of just 30.48. So they're well and truly overperforming on that particular front. Uh, Curiously as well, no penalties awarded to the men in green and white so far this season. In terms of, I I don't want to speculate, but I suspect that might change on Saturday. Never mind.
1: (laughs) I think that just means that no one can get close enough to their attackers to even foul them
0: possibly who knows in terms of general style i think we all know what we're going to see from celtic they lead the league in terms of their number of 10 plus passing sequences they've had 246 of those in their 13 league games to date on the ball as you'd expect as well they're reasonably reasonably patient in moving the ball through the lines and average direct speed of 1.53 meters per second which is pretty close to aberdeen's uh, one 1.5 five one meters per second Toss. uh their zones of control graphic we'll put it up just for a laugh tells you just exactly how much they're dominating territory um just as a reminder to people the, the zones in blue are the ones that celtic have more than 50 percent of touches in the zones in red uh, are their their opposition that so, is going to
1: yeah. make the green army fucking furious when they see that
0: <laughs> absolutely absolutely um as you'd expect as well, Celtic are absolutely continuing with the style that were implemented by Coglu last season in terms of when they're out of possession, high intensity pressing game. They've got a PPDA of just nine, which is the second lowest in the league. Gav PPDA, everyone knows it, Gary. Come on, let's just let's just keep moving. Okay, fine. Uh, only Sevco apparently seemed to press more intensely, but where Celtic definitely have a massive advantage over the rest of the league here is that they are incredibly good at punishing high turnover so that's a turnover of possession that occurs less than 40 meters from the opposing team's goal so far out of those turnovers this season they've converted six of them into goals that's six times the number that Sevco have done it vastly outperforms the league here the message is pretty clear we have to keep safe possession of the ball in our own half
1: it's a good thing we've got some real ball players in the center of
0: our defense (laughs) absolutely in terms of setup They've generally favoured a 4-3-3 again this season, a front three rotating between the likes of Jota, Kyogo, Maeda, Abada, Jakamakamaka, Makamakis, and Hacks- this one. Haxabanovic, I can get that one. That one's actually not that difficult, weirdly. Um it's all that time I spend at Parkhead, obviously. Obviously, we've been favoring we've been favouring the three at the back shape since Tana Dice, But there's got to be a massive question for us here about whether we can go with a back three given the absence of Liam Scales and the concern that this certainly brings me about matching up a 3v3, which is going to leave us, I think, pretty exposed in wide areas, which um, is what we saw at Ibrox. Um, Gav, your thoughts just on the shape, I guess, and then the absence of Liam Scales. and What do you think we can expect from our lineup on Saturday?
1: Um, With Liam Scales not being available, I was having to think about this earlier I'd find it incredibly surprising if our only option centre-back-wise is, is Jack Mill. Jack Mill has not played a meaningful minute in the league this season to date. Um, the other option would be Jack McKenzie, I guess, on the left side of a back three. Um, yeah, McKenzie was what I was thinking that. about, yeah. I think my feelings on that pretty clear in the past. That would be... Um, I'm not sure if I'd consider that a solution or just present ourselves with a different type of problem. What I expect to happen, given that um, we don't appear to have picked up any kind of injury issues in the kind of break, and whether that be in the friendlies or any kind of training that we've been doing, I think we'll switch to back four again with scales, scales, with Anthony Stewart and McCrory in the centre of defence, Jaden Richardson coming back into the team and Hayden Colson on the left side, uh, Rambadani protecting the back four in that screening role. And then yeah, Leighton Clarkson, Connor Baron in the center, in up front. Um, Duke, maybe perhaps playing in a formational sense in a wide position, but having the the freedom to roam um into a more central position to then partner Mojowski and then you know take your pick from any one of our dozens of wingers to fill the space in between. I, I can't see us playing a back three, given that we don't have scales available. I just can't see Goodwin. Um throwing Jack Millen into the deep end like that. And I just, I like to, th- I just yeah, I struggle with the idea of McKenzie being in a central position against a team like Celtic. That would just be spelling all kinds of problems for me. And I think Goodwin will probably recognize that as well and go with, go back to the shape that we had kind of originally planned and see what we, see what we can do with that. I think it, I think it does eliminate the issues we saw at Ibrox from the, the Rangers wingers and the Rangers fullbacks getting up and down the channels and giving us so many problems. I think if you could fit someone like know, if Johnny Hayes was available, put him on the left side, you're going to get lots of coverage from him. You're going to get coverage from Duke. Who's also a real worker going back the way. And then it gives you that little bit of quality in the center and up front to, you know, when we are in possession of the ball, try and actually hurt ourselves so and take the game with them when we actually get the chance.
0: Yeah, I do feel it seems like it's been a bit quiet, I think, um, on the Johnny Hayes front over the last few weeks. I'm not sure exactly where Johnny Hayes is at in terms of his uh, return to fitness. It seems to be very quiet as well, but just exactly what was wrong with him. Um, that doesn't seem to have been particularly clear, um, I don't think. But
1: Yeah, he was on the bench for the friendly game with Atlanta. Now, he? he didn't play, obviously. <laughs> he didn't take a part in any uh, in any part of it. But I believe he was on the bench as a, uh, a registered substitute. So okay. hopefully he is closer, better yet, available to come back at the team. I think he would be a real bonus.
0: Yeah, I think his energy, if nothing else, would be probably something we probably need to to really be looking at. I think um... energy and a little bit of experience to these games because
1: we're gonna have a lot of players on that team that are not gonna have experienced a team a game at home to Celtic
0: which is a very good point as well I think Uh, in terms of just you know where we how we approach the game um, obviously there's a bit of an argument here similar to the first game of the season again that maybe this is not a bad time to play them it's their first game back similar to us after the World Cup break they might still be missing some bodies from their squad we kind of touched on the players they've had at the World Cup Um, I know they played uh, Wren in a pre-season match a couple of days ago Uh, they got beat 4-3 so you know conceded a few goals there You know, is it, again, perhaps about as good a time as we could maybe hope for to to get a chance to play them? We don't seem to have picked up any further injury worries over the break. Maybe an opportunity to try and catch some cold a little bit. I'm going to just
1: give an answer from the Graham Steele perspective. No. (laughs) The the bonus from our perspective is that, yeah, Juranovic will be um, still at the World Cup. In some capacity, I, I do not rule out the possibility of Croatia beating Argentina, so he could well be playing in a World Cup final. I don't think anyone in Scotland expected that that would be the case, that uh, the World Cup will be affecting player selection in our uh, domestic league, but that's the way it's panned out. Uh, so that in that case, they'll likely play Ralston right back, I guess, who is a significant downgrade um, in quality compared to Juranovic. So maybe gives you an opportunity to attack them down that flank, we don't know else what what the situation with other World Cup players will be, but you know it's still Celtic. They're still um, whatever group they bring up to Portugal. It's still going to be a very strong team, and that's going to present a, a huge challenge. Maybe worth mentioning as well. Like, obviously, there's been a bit of spec about Jack Macus wanting away. That seems to be the first kind of well, same with Juranovic as well. To be fair, that's I think as yeah, that seems to be more like speculation about just clubs being interested. In this with Jack Marcus, it's like it's more a case like him trying to engineer and move away. Um, perhaps showing the first kind of cracks in the foundation of what Anjipostokogu uh, has been building at Celtic um, the nature of the game um, at any level in Scotland really to be fair it's um, obviously we're coming back it was cold, we're we're struggling as well um, in terms of you know we are losing our, like you say, in a lot of metrics our best centre back Ross McCrory um, was not in great form, I think even Ross would probably admit that himself, uh, leading into the break and it's gonna be it's gonna be a huge challenge. That's, that's that's all there is to it. And I think what's interesting about this is that it's gonna be the first time Jim Goodwin as Aberdeen manager comes up against Rangers or Celtic at Potaudry. Um playing the old from away is one thing. Um, the expectation of the Aberdeen crowd for what we can the way we t- approach this, it'll be interesting to see if that uh, if that plays into his psyche and his thinking i think in the same way it kind of did when we went to ibrox and the key had the mentality of let's go ahead and really take the game to them because that's what the fans want
0: Mm -hmm. do you expect that we'll try and do that do you think that's how he's going to go i mean for me i think he he can only do that i think at home i think i don't like using the 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 phrase about you know it's a it's a um it's a free hit or it's you know whatever but i do think there's an expectation level here that we'll have a go I think we have to ha- we have to have a go anyway, I think. I think we need to try and set our stall out that things are different under Goodwin, that that he has built a team of attacking players. You know, we touched on that a lot with Lee Scott um last week. It's an opportunity here. You know, it, it, it's about as good an opportunity as we're gonna have in the current this season, I think, to to take points off of off of Celtic, I think, this season. They the Celtic weren't in great they were in good form before the break, but they weren't playing well. He says this now, knowing that this is going to probably come back and royally bite us. But they were struggling a little bit in home games, um, in particular in the run up to the World Cup break. I'm thinking against uh, United, they had to scramble to get a a 4 2 win in the end. But, you know, United should have seen it out for a 2 2 draw. Um, I think they struggled against Ross County as well just before the break. So there were perhaps as well some signs that they weren't quite as free flowing and as clinical despite everything we've just said about their metrics in terms of creating chances they look like they were kind of really relying a lot on the opposition having lapses of concentration etc more than anything else um he's got to have a go hasn't he Goodman? he has to
1: i don't really think he has a choice actually when you look at the personnel that we have available to us um much in the same way that i'd find it surprising if we were to throw jack Miller and mckenzie into the team. You know, when it comes to the center of the park, we've got Ilber, um, Leighton Clarkson, Connor Barron. And the other option would be a, like a Dante Bolvar if you wanted to throw in a more defensive minded player. And we've not seen Dante since Hibbs. No, exactly. I'd, be, um, I'd be pretty surprised if Dante's got really a, much in the way of a, a long term future at Aberdeen. So that would really surprise me. You know, he could maybe throw in like another kind of player like, you know, a Matty Kennedy or something like that. But Against a team like Celtic, I don't know if you want to be throwing too many players into unfamiliar positions.
0: I think so the what, challenge as
1: well. As I think he has to try and keep Duke and Miovsky together somehow. I, like I said, I I can see us playing what would resemble a pretty narrow four four two when we're in possession. That then extends to maybe a a four two three one four five one kind of formation when we're out of possession, with Duke um, using his energy and his work rate to to track back um, runners.
0: But yeah, if you go I, that I, way, I, you're going to have to think about dropping out probably Clarkson or Barron to make that work.
1: Possibly, possibly.
0: Um, it's. I think. I actually think it's a real conundrum that they've got this week about how we decide to set up. I really do because I think. I think if he tries to go four five one, for example, and takes Duke and either play, like tries to play Duke as a kind of wide left player who joins into two when we're in possession, I'm not sure the fans are going to take to that too well. I think I actually think this is actually a massive game for jim goodwin just in terms of his position with the support to an extent because i think i think the fans expect i expect us to have a go to celtic on saturday
1: in, in position do you mean like in the metaphorical sense or as position within putaudry
0: uh i mean in a metaphorical sense thank you gav I, um, I see i see just wanted to <laughs> clarify that point I, th- I think it's I think it's a big one, and I think we've kind of we've kind of fucked up a little bit here in terms of just our depth of numbers. We've spoken about this all season. We've been fortunate that it's not massively us in the arse in the sense we haven't had severe injuries to Scales or Stewart, which would have really highlighted this issue. Obviously, Scales had that um, game out after the the red card at, at Easter Road. Um, And we're kind of fortunate we've probably managed to wangle our way towards January without this being a huge issue, apart from in the games against Celtic now. But it's just, it just, this game of Tilt just exposes just how weak we are at the centre of defence, doesn't it? It really does. And how much of a reshuffle this this entails.
1: Well, that and, you know, um, in theory, we've got coverage in in centre midfield, but then when you have to take one of them out to go play centre back, then we become incredibly limited there uh, from a tactical perspective uh i think the speculation in the in the press that we're you know prioritizing defensive options in january which i fully endorse because yeah we are incredibly light and i think yeah i tend to agree i mean i think i think this game and when it comes to the the way that aberdeen fans will think of jim goodwin's aberdeen team when it comes to playing rangers and celtic yeah the, the proof will be in the pudding of this one and of
0: course the uh the Rangers game at the end of the month as well, but not at the end of the month on the Tuesday, on the Tuesday, <laughs> on the Tuesday, um, big double header, the the, the, uh, the triple booked night. Yes, exactly, absolutely. So, just looking back again, back at the at the numbers, the data, etc. It seems to me the high turnover and set plays are the biggest risk that sales mm-hmm. possibly can possibly pose to us. Something we need to be mindful of, but something that really plays against us, doesn't it, in terms of our general tendencies shall we say so far this season certainly in terms of set plays but you touched on earlier on playing around at the back we're not great at it and we're taking our best ball playing centre half out of the team again um it's 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 so difficult because you you look at that and think to yourself okay well in this
1: instance then let's maybe just go a bit more direct and get the ball further away from our goal but you know in that case you're probably gonna have me off skip front you know being a target man that's not really his strength so doing that, chances are your podge is going to give the ball away anyway to Celtic, maybe further away from your goal, but you're still going to we- give it to them at a place where they can then go and build attacks.
0: Which is also part of the reason to keep Duke in the team, because you should, instead of maybe shelling it to a target man, it should be more around tricking the ball on the channels. It may be a mm-hmm. bit more direct and yeah. let Duke run the channels, which is also a key reason to keep Duke in the team. So this it becomes a huge, huge conundrum, this. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. That's why Jim Goodwin gets paid the big bucks, and I sit at home and do
1: a podcast about what I should do.
0: Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's why they've gone to Manchester this weekend, so they can just um, think about it on the booze. Who knows? Um, (laughs) In terms of...
1: um, Can't wait to find out who's suffered an Andy Carroll-esque misfortune.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Duke. Uh, In terms of predictions, then, I guess, Gab, it's kind of hard, isn't it, this one? Because, yeah, I feel that this is almost like coming into... It's it's like coming back from pre season again, almost, isn't it? It's hard to judge this game from a from that aspect because we don't have any real current form that we're going into this game with. Same for Celtic. I mean, it felt to me a little bit like we kind of stumbled into the World Cup break. You know, we had a really good performance, um, second half anyway against Hibs, desperately poor at the Tony Macaroni in the opening forty five. Better in the 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 second half there, but still a pretty poor performance all round. Decent enough first half against United, and then kind of were a little bit off it second half i thought yeah. against yeah. united um if united had had their shooting boots on uh maybe been a little bit more direct i think they probably could have certainly nicked the point at photography so it does feel like a bit of an odd one to be kind of going in but that said do you want to venture a prediction for for saturday it is like groundhog day of the uh the first game of the season the first
1: league game so you can maybe just go back and uh listen to what we're saying there and Skip over all this. Um, good, our good friend of the show, um, Hugh Little, um, has commented. Um, I know that our predictions are kind of a little bit pointless because, regardless of form or opposition, we tend to predict Aberdeen victories. So we're maybe not being entirely truthful. So uh, I didn't see this from Hugh. In that I've I've been I've been told this from a a relative of his. All oh, right. Okay. So uh, well, Hugh. Sorry. I mean, while he's 100% correct... Yeah, of course he is. I'm going to carry on with this... Uh, <laughs> yeah, this this trend on this show of just relentless positivity. And I'm going to say that I think... Got to remember, Celtic have suffered defeat this year in the league um, to a team that had a lot of building blocks put in place by our current manager. So, you know something about how to beat the old uh, the old green and white team in Celtic? Glasgow like green do, and white? The amount he watches them. Glasgow green and white as they would be known on old games of Pro-Ev I think it's going to be really tough I think it's going to be 2-1 Aberdeen I think we're going to get an early goal from a set piece Billy Koua is pretty sharpish and then our man our man at the moment our maverick the man that Lee Scott played such a pivotal part in getting to the club will come up with a winner yes that's right Ilba Ramadani love it oh if he does that at the red shed then like last minute
0: oh oh That long-range shooting is going to come in. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go the same. I have a sneaky suspicion, despite everything I've said so far, that we might actually uh, pull off a result on Saturday. So I'm going to say Aberdeen 2, Celtic nil. We're going to keep a clean sheet. Oh, wow. Yeah, massive positivity there. Uh, Anyway, shall we move on? I'll turn out we don't even need Liam Skills Exactly. I guess in terms of news from Patojri at Cormac Park this week, not a lot of official news in inverted commas. I guess the most significant element of chat was the publication of a report or an update into the beach master plan by Aberdeen City Council. that will be put before the full council. (laughs) Gav's already chuckling about this. It'll be put before the full council that meets on the 14th of December, uh, which will be, let me see, when's the 14th? That'll be Wednesday. It'll be the day this episode comes out. Um, And in that report, the council have uh, indicated pretty clearly that they're going to keep a new stadium at the beach within the outline plans as they stand at the moment, but that's basically entirely dependent on Aberdeen paying for the whole lot of it. Uh, On the face of it, this leaves us pretty much back at square one all over again, doesn't it? Yes, very much so. George, do you think that this is just perhaps step two in the general cat and mouse game between the club and the city council in a game of who's going to blink first.
1: Um as I've previously mentioned before, I'm just kind of coming to terms with the fact that it'll be the year 2052 and Aberdeen will be the only team in Scotland, the Scottish top flight, playing in a stadium that's got one stand because the main stand is sunk and the South Stand and the Merkland end have just like imploded into dust as they crumble before our eyes and uh, we'll be no further along in this process we'll still be looking for a site
0: it just seems I, I can't decide on this one whether like we've been so incredibly incredibly naive thus far um, in appearing to take the view that the council were going to pay for some of this and there doesn't appear to have ever been any real uh, not even concrete promises you know foam promises made by the council that they are going to put some cash up towards this other than I guess providing the, the parcel of land I, I I I do feel on one hand that the club have kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit in terms of the whole Kingsford thing now because you know Rob Wicks made it clear on the interview we did with Rob um, Dave Cormack and Rob Wicks I think have both made it clear as well during various uh, interviews etc in the last little while that Kingsford is kind of dead in the water as far as what the club's thoughts are about building a ground there, building a stadium at that site now because A, they've made it clear they've not spent any money on looking at that site again now in terms of updating the plans, updating everything that went along with it to consider how much it would actually cost to build there now. Um, people keep on talking about how the fact that Kingsford will be cheaper than perhaps the beach to to build at. Don't think that's necessarily true because obviously as part of that planning permission as we highlighted this last week, part of the planning permission that was granted for Kingsford included that the club had to pay for a lot of ancillary matters that needed to be dealt with, i.e. I think there was the fly, there was meant to be a kind of footbridge over the dual carriageway at West Hill, I had to pay for widening roads, etc., and the run-up to the to the, the park and ride site. There was extra cost going to be in there about the kind of parking zones and stuff as well. So it's not just the cost of building a stadium, there's all the ancillary shit that needs to be done as well. So I don't think it's actually going to be cheaper to build at Kingsford than it would be at the beach um, on a pure build basis. And also, the club have made it pretty clear now that Kingsford is very much a number two option compared to the beach. And like I say, they've spent no money um, recently in, in looking at Kingsford at all. They can't now really turn around. If the beach thing all falls to pieces, they can't really now turn around and tell the supporters, well, we're going to go to Kingsford, even though we know you don't want to do it supporters because all the the polls and the votes and everything that's been done for it indicate quite strongly that that's the case and the club themselves don't want to go kingsford so how on earth can you sell that now to the supporters that kingsford is the right solution it feels to me that if you have an all for aurora um car sticker maybe keep a hold of that that might be very well worth a a few bob in the future from a limited edition perspective on, on ebay it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out I think again, isn't it? I mean, you're right Gav There's, there's all. I think we spoke about it a few weeks back actually when the, the beach master plan stuff came back out I think it was when they put the silly table in with all the projected attendances for, you know, Scotland under 21 games and all that kind of gubbins at, at the ground. It, it almost feels tiresome talking about this. It's been 20 years, I think since this was uh, since a move away from Petology was first mooted and um, that was originally at Belfield, then there was Lawyerston, then there was Kingsford, and there was the beach. And we're no further along. I hate to think how much money we've spent on the various different processes, plans, analysis, all that over the last 20 years to be literally no further along. Meanwhile, as you said, the, the current stadium is just falling to bits around us. It'll be interesting to see, I mean, there's, the AGM is on Monday night um again, so this is gonna go out after the AGM's taking place. I think you and I, Gav, we've agreed just now before we start recording if anything major comes out of the AGM, we might circle back and do some sort of mini pod or some sort of thing to analyze what comes out. I can't see there being a huge amount coming out of the AGM. It'll be the usual powder puff questions, etc. etc. The board will be re-elected, whoever's up uh, who is standing for re-election at the moment, the gadget from Atlanta will be added to the board. Um Dimitrios I think is his name isn't it the, the new boy who'll be taken over from your man who went to Newcastle whose name completely escapes me now it'll be Darren Eels. Darren Eels, there we go thank you uh, there might be some single sign on stuff uh, mentioned I imagine <laughs> because <laughs> um, yeah Dave Cormack to be awarded
1: employee of the year
0: <laughs>
1: by Dave Cormack
0: yeah um, if anything does interesting come out, we, we we'll circle back and talk about it. I I can't imagine anything interesting is going to come out of the council meeting, either. Um, all in all, it's just it's just not great, is it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the Kingsford point, I mean, I,
1: we don't really have a leadership that suggests we have the kind of um, would we even remotely prepared to kind of lose public face in that way of admitting that their the plan has has failed and we have to go to the uh, reserve plan. Like you say, uh, still remember that that hundred year DVD? I remember when DVDs were a thing. That was oh, yeah. a time to live. What a time to be alive! Um, and Milne, Strip Millen, uh, Keith Wines, I think was our chief exec at the time, talking about how it was imperative that we go away from Petaudry as soon as possible. And yeah, here we are, 20 years later, no closer to it. And yeah, just you know, like I say, just make peace with the idea that one day we'll just be like, we'll just be the RD, like the RDS. That'll be all we see. And a couple of gazebos. People stood in the car park across from the main stand and people watching from the flat behind the south stand. Will we move on? Yes, because that was bleak.
0: Excellent. Uh, on to lone watch really quickly. So Conor McLennan uh, at St. Johnson. Not applicable, obviously. No games uh, last week for St. Johnson that we know about. Kieran Nguenna, no role for him as Wraith Rovers took on Morton in the SPFL Trust Trophy. That one ended in a 1-1 draw with Wraith eventually progressing on penalty kicks. Or sorry, Shots from the penalty mark. Uh, Mason Hancock, also not in the squad, as our broth went down by five goals to one to Furman in the SPFL Trust Trophy on Friday night. Evan Towler, no game for Cove this weekend. And the same for Tom Ritchie. And Davey Robertson's Peterhead, no game for them either this week. It's the only
1: way Tom Ritchie's keeping a clean sheet at the weekends.
0: I would suggest so at the minute, that's right. Uh, Kevin Hanratty at for another game on the bench, and that's where he stayed, as for visited stenhouse in League 2. For taking the points and hauling themselves off the bottom of the league. The title charge is well and truly back on again. I think next week we should revisit our predictions at the beginning of the season and see
1: just how things are going.
0: Good idea. I like that. That's a a good idea. Let's let's, let's minute that, shall we? And then for Dean Campbell, another start for him as he lasted 73 minutes before before he was substituted in Stevenage's nil-nil draw with Mansfield in League 2 down south. How honking a game of football do you reckon that was? Stevenage nil, Mansfield town nil.
1: Stevenage nil, Mansfield town nil. Um, vintage. Vintage. A barn burner.
0: A slobber knocker. A main event in any town. Um, I did notice that Colchester United got beat again this weekend. They did, by uh, Sutton United. Rob Milson, friend of the show, scored yes. a penalty kick. Yes. A
1: much a redhead who provided much more than the redhead, not even in the squad, in, not the, the, squad. Uh, in the Colchester United uh, contingent.
0: Absolutely. Uh, although that nil-nil draw means that big bad Steve Evans and Stevenage are four points off the top of the table onto the young team. Bad night at the office for the young team on Friday night as they went down by six goals to two away to Hibbs. Next up for them is Dundee United at Cormac Park on Friday night before they wrap up for the winter break and for the women's team no game for the Queens this week they've got a fixture against Sevco ladies on Sunday before they break off for their winter break as well and that will wrap up the first half of this week's ABZ The Football Podcast join us on the other side as we'll bring you part one of our exclusive interview with Brian Urban This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street Aberdeen Christmas night out at Siberia, who are offering area hire buffet platters and a welcome drink for just £30 per person this festive season. Get in touch by emailing Scott at Siberia Aberdeen.com. That's Scott at Siberia Aberdeen.com for more details. And while you're at it, why not grab tickets at the same time for Siberia's 2023 Hogmany celebrations with music from Overload. welcome back to the abz football podcast now before we move on to the interview with brian irvin and are we going to do jess music corner today gav are we going to do that i think we've got a little something we could maybe talk okay, about I, I mean i've got nothing for it so hopefully you do um anyway we just want to give a quick shout out to those of you who've made contributions to the beer and coffee fund this week uh, in particular to mark robertson and paul darcy we see you your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help us keep fueled in beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. The link is in the description. Shout us a beer or a coffee. It is absolutely appreciated. And just again, quick one. We had some really good responses to our first installments of my favorite game with Duncan Shearer and with Martin Stone. Uh, our aim here obviously is to get a mixture of fans, ex-players, managers, etc., in on the show to talk about their favorite Aberdeen game. It's not complicated. If you'd like to get involved, uh, hit us up on Twitter. Our DMs are always open, or you can email us at abz, at gmail.com. Tell us the game you want to talk about, why you've picked it, and that reason can be for anything. It could be your first game, might be something daft about it, something sentimental about it, whatever it might be, give us a shout, we'll get you on the show, let's talk about it. Uh, last week as well, we brought you um, our thoughts on items in the AFC club shop, which are hilarious. Um, and I thought we would take a challenge this week, Gav, to have a look around the, the rest of the SPFL Premiership to see what items of tat you can pick up from the club shops up and down the country. And my favourite item by some mile is probably this one from Dundee United, a three-way charger for £18. And let's just look uh, we'll link this, um, we will link this on the Twitter when it goes out um, so people can go and have a good old look at it. But let's just Let's just have a look at this It's described as being a stunning Stunning three way charger charger, One meter cable Supplied in a black gift box Tell you what My wife's going to be a lucky lady when she opens up this gift box On (laughs) Christmas day With a foil blocked lion crest The cable has a standard USB port And comes with iPhone lightning connector Micro USB And USB-C connectors For new phones so there we go. Um, you can pay for this in 30 days with Klarna if you want as well, which is good. Uh, the cable also features the Lion Crest, which lights up in a tangerine LED when it's plugged into a USB port. Oh all no, all, Gav. Great value for 18 quid. That is spectacular.
1: Um, stunning. That, that that description, stunning three-way charger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that United fans probably thought about that mid probably thought that about their midfield when we played them at Tanadice, um back Quite in October possibly. or whatever but uh, £18. Pounds. 18 quid 18 quid. Yeah. I wonder how much it is for delivery.
0: I'm not going to check that out I mean is that better or worse than the AFC with sympathy card <laughs> it's actually it's. you know what it's not
1: even so delivery is £5 Delivery
0: <laughs> is <it's> a fiver <laughs> and
1: wait a minute yeah delivery is £5 pounds, yeah
0: I've just, I'm, I'm just currently scanning through the United uh, shop as well. Here, we could probably spend an entire episode just scanning through the United Club Shop. They have a, they have a range called Europa League, which I just clicked on just for a laugh. They've got a passport wallet in there. Presumably, you're not going to need that too often. The continent is calling. Get your leather passport wallet now. Well, maybe not.
1: Uh, I think the, uh, the, the key with these kind of things is always go. Got to check the clearance section.
0: Yeah. We can maybe look at that for next week. I think let's let's not use all of the material we can probably get from the United Club shop.
1: A tiny right Terrors Field of Dreams book. <laughs> Story by John Miller, illustrated by Jenny Meekin. I mean, I'll tell you what, Tiny Terrors, that's pathology last year for me. Yeah,
0: definitely, absolutely. Will we move on?
1: Let's move on, yes.
0: Okay, and we're going to make, I wasn't going to do this, but Gav's insisting on us running Jess Music Corner. Well, I'm week. not insisting, but I'm
1: just saying that I've, We've been talking the last two weeks about how we've found the quintessential one-hit wonder, and I would argue that this is 100% the quintessential of quintessential one-hit wonders. I think you might be right, actually. So, Gav, what is it? Well, we're going to bring you um, a song by an American pop group released in
0: 1997.
1: I am talking about the one and only Mbop by Hanson.
0: So, of course, uh, Mbop, first charted in the UK... The 7th of June, 1997, straight in with a bullet to number one. Lasted three weeks there. So, of course, this is June 97, so the Dons are, are not in action, per se. We've just been lining up for uh, what would turn out to be the last few months of Roy Aitken's spell in charge. Of course, Aitken's tender, at have coming to an end after a 5-0 defeat at Dundee United on the 9th of November before he was replaced eventually by... Alex Miller. I think, Gav, you're probably right to say this is the quintessential one-hit-wonder, I guess. Did, Hanson did have four UK top tens in total, but I don't think anyone out there is going to know their name, are they? Much
1: like if you could list off any game that Stephen Glass's Aberdeen kept a clean sheet, I challenge you to name it.
0: <laughs> this song actually came to my mind as well last night when I was watching France beat England because I saw Mbappe and I was like, <laughs> if he signed for Aberdeen, you'd expect that there should be a song to the tune of Mbop. Mbappe. If Killian
1: Mbappé signs for Aberdeen, there'd be many more things going through my mind than how to appropriate
0: a handsome <laughs> lyric to, well, you know, his priorities name. and all that. Anyway, um, let's be honest, it's, it's a bit of a banger, isn't it? Let's be fair. It's, it's, a, it's a straight up pop banger. Not much I else mean, to say about I that. mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's, um,
1: I mean, it must be depressing as fuck for the play. Because they were oh, like, undoubtedly. They, I mean, like they're all like, Forty, late thirties or something like that now,
0: and yet, yeah, you know age this, this is they're, all they're they ages. The ages with us, I think.
1: And yeah, well, I mean, they were when this was released. They were 11, 14, and sixteen in nineteen ninety seven. So, yeah, one of the, one of them would have been eighty three. Yep, and one of them would have been yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maths. Um, I, I'm i enjoying the um the Wikipedia entry where they mention that the lyrics weren't inspired by one in particular what the song talks about is you got to hold on to things that really matter again like I say they were literally children and the lyrics go you have so many relationships in this life only one or two will last you go through all the pain and strife then you turn your back and they're gone so fast so hold on the ones who really care in the end they'll be the only ones there and when you get old and start losing your hair can you tell me who will care and uh, then obviously someone came with this piece of genius mmm bap bap doop bap doo, bap I always thought that was like real words and I just couldn't work out <laughs> but it's just fucking
0: gibberish thought the word like beatboxing or something
1: yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty intense for you know 11 year olds to be coming out with um, <laughs> it's almost lyric. like somebody
0: else wrote it I
1: believe they're credited as being the songwriters on this well, you know if I'm not mistaken
0: you know anyway uh, how on earth are we gonna roll this one back to Aberdeen? It's easy. is it easy? It's an absolute piece of piss.
1: Come on, then. What's the name of the band? Hansen. Can you name me the, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm correct in saying, the one and only Faroese professional footballer to have ever played for Aberdeen? That's right, Haller Hansen. Haller Hansen. <laughs> Fucking hell, Gav. Made I- one appearance for Aberdeen coming on in the Premier League on the November 27th, 2010, in a game where we lost 2 0 away to Kilmarnock. Is that? That might even be the game where Graham loses
0: fifty quid. No, that's not that game. It's not that game. It's a different game.
1: Felt roughly around the same kind of time.
0: Yeah, no, it's not that one. Oh no, that would have be been
1: a bit. That would be a bit later. Yeah, I mean, does that
0: count? Can I give that to you? It's the
1: band's name and an absolute fucking nomad that let's played for our club by the same name.
0: I think that. Right, you know what? Screw it. I'll give you that one. Um, we move on.
1: They were also from Tulsa, Oklahoma, so... Yeah, that was what I was focusing on. Instagram.
0: They also probably enjoy
1: the Oklahoma Sooners. Exactly. Like good old JR. <laughs> Big old JR.
0: Anyway, will we, will we move on? Because without further ado, it is the latest in our line of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This time, it's another guy signed by Sir Alex Ferguson, this time in the summer of 1985, a man who would go on to eventually play 387 times in red. Scoring 40 goals, which is a remarkable return for a centre half. man who also played in goals on a number of occasions. It is the one and the only Brian Irvin. Brian Irvin, welcome to the ABZ
2: Football Podcast. How's it going? Good. Really good to speak to you. Gary, really delighted to speak to you actually.
0: Uh, listen, I'm the one who's more delighted than, than than you are to talk to me, trust me. Um, as a kid yeah, it's who a long, grew up...
2: It's a, long, it's a long time coming. We've been organising this for quite a number of Months <laughs> possibly over a year.
0: I know, then, I know. Here we are. But no, listen, honestly, the honour is absolutely all mine. As a kid who grew up um going to epidogy for the first time in the kind of late eighties, um, and then that kind of golden period, I guess, in the early nineties, you know, you're very much one of the first names that comes to mind whenever I think about those those first Aberdeen teams that I went to see. So it's a real privilege for us to get to to talk to you tonight, Brian. Um Thank you very
2: much, Gary. That's a- very kind of you to say all that.
0: Let's um let's go back to the very beginning, though, if that's all right, Brian. Yeah. Um, Born in Bells Hill, May 1965. Yeah. Talk to us just a little bit about your kind of upbringing and, and when was it that you can remember that football kind of really caught your attention?
2: Yeah, well, I thought I was going to have to decline that answer because I think I can't remember much about when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as uh, able to think back as far as that. But yeah, early days... It was all, all, all about football, and I loved playing football as a boy uh, with my friends in the in the parks and, um, you know, just in the Lanarkshire area. Although it's amazing that uh, with this quite strong West of Scotland accent as well, I'm actually from, my family are from Aberdeenshire, my mum yep. and dad are from Inverurie, so at home was always Aberdeenshire. And I, I used to look forward to going up to visit my grands and grandpas and aunts and uncles' cousins, and playing in the parks at Old Rain, and Pitcapo. Imagine I was playing for Aberdeen and, you know, dreaming of being a football player one day and, and, you know, I've been knowing it was ever going to happen, but um, just played football morning, noon and night. Um, And then a a funny thing happened, really, about 16, I think it was, I stopped playing altogether. And I think when I look back now with hindsight, or, or looking back on it, rather, I think it was because... I was struggling with my eyesight and mm. possibly as a boy I didn't realise and it wasn't quite as easy to get your eyes tested in those days. A lot of you know, it's not as after speaking about pre-war or anything like that. But you know, I didn't clearly realise it was just need my eyes tested to get um so yeah, I did get glasses and I, but then you can't wear glasses to play football. So as I say, I completely gave up playing football in my fourth, third and fourth year at school. Um and it was only during my fourth and fifth year when I, I went further with my eyes tested to discover you could get contact lenses. And again, contact lenses are common ground now, but back then it was old, uh, hard things and things like that. And it was, you know, that was, it was new ground almost in the uh, uh, early 80s, late 70s. So it wasn't something you would be would be uh, comfortable wearing, but that got me back playing football. And so my fifth year at school, I got back into the team and, and, and then the boys club teams and the, the, under eighteen teams, I was, I was playing for, and thankfully that was when the, I didn't make it. Obviously, straight from school, to a professional team, but I made it in through the back door um, by getting a trial with Falkirk, and after a, a, successful trial with Falkirk, you know we can move on to that later on. But that that was a, a, the 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 background as a boy where I loved football, but stopped playing it at a key stage when you could probably have got into a team probably straight from school, perhaps uh, down in the Central Belt.
0: Yeah, and you kind of touched on it, I think I read it elsewhere before, Brian, as well, that I think um, your parents ended up moving uh, to Airdrie, which is kind of where you grew up, mainly. Yes. Um, and obviously you remained an Aberdeen fan, though, as a youngster. Um, I bet you were dead popular amongst the locals from that perspective, but who would have been the Aberdeen players that you kind of idolised when you were growing up?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, Milgon Strachan, Big Alec, Alec McLeish, Willie Miller. Aberdeen were obviously at their peak uh, when I was growing up in, in <laughs> Um, in, in secondary school and, and as you see I was kind of a lot of mickey taking going on Aberdeen when normally it was Rangers Celtic I also supported the Airbrae I used to go and watch a lot of Airdrie games when I, especially in a couple of years when I stopped playing football myself because I would go and watch that Derby. Um, and, uh, and then they had a successful year in the Premier League actually the first year I think they stayed up in the Premier the second year I think they were relegated but I remember going to Airdrie games at the old Broomfield Park and watching them get promoted from the first division, having a good year in the Premier League, uh, and then you know of course I'd see Aberdeen at Broomfield as well, um, so that was that was the perfect game for me to watch Airdrie against Aberdeen and things like that. So yeah, just just enjoy watching watching football really. Um, and, and Big Alec McLeish, Wally Miller, Gordon Strachan were my my boyhood heroes, and ironically it's hard to believe that you know, a matter of four, probably about four or five years later, you actually become teammates with these these guys and, and get to know them. You know, it's just the, the quicker how how life works because I had no dream, I know I dreamt about it, but, you know, I never think for a, hundred, a million years it would happen and become a teammate.
0: Yeah, you kind of touched on it a minute ago as well, Brian. You kind of fell out of playing the game um, a little bit through your teenage years and then um, got back into it again. How did the move to Falkirk come about in, in 1983?
2: Billy Lamont was the manager at Falkirk, and um, after I had signed, but before he signed, there was a caretaker manager at Falkirk. Alec Totten had left to go to Rangers. And so a caretaker manager took over, and a scout had obviously been watching me play for my my under 18 team. And he'd asked me to go, uh, got me signed and linked up, lined up for a trial at a Falkirk game, a Falkirk reserve game one night. And I always say it's a funny story that. I only played half an hour before the game was abandoned because of fog. <laughs> so, the fog either helped, well, definitely helped me that night because um, you know if I'd played the full game, I might have, I might have saw through me and saw he's a nightmare we better not sign him. But uh, thirty minutes, I must have had done quite well and and managed to get signed by the folk caretaker manager at the time, just before Billy Lamont took over, and and that that led to getting the opportunity to to, to sign for folk And funny thing is, I say with Billy Lamont, the story. Unfolds. You see, Bill Lamont was a good friend, a close friend from the, the, the govern years, if you like, uh, mm-hmm. with Alec Ferguson. And so that would probably be the link a couple of years down the line. I played a couple of seasons with Falkirk, initially just as a reserve player. But in the second year, I, I, I kind of went straight into the first team, played alongside the more experienced players in the, the, the first division with Falkirk. Too. Um, so that was a good learning ground. And, you know, I learned quite, quite quick there. Uh, how how you know the game professionally was was uh, working rather so it's quite a good way to get in in uh, football because if you went from school to football you have to get through basically nowadays it's what's called academies mm-hmm. in, in those days it was similar but just not under the name of an academy you have to get through the apprenticeship with the reserves and the youth team at Aberdeen or whatever straight from school I missed that out and so by the time you know I served my apprenticeship with Falkirk and got experience with Falker. I got picked for a Scotland semi-professional team at a tournament in Holland, one at the end of my second season at Falker. We did quite well in that tournament. Uh, and that actually was just after that, that I signed. It looked like Charlton I was going to go to. Okay. But, but
1: the
2: opportunity, I, was, I wasn't I was sure what to do, and I was not sure whether I should sign for Charlton. While I was dithering over the, the summer of that season, the opportunity came out the blue, that if you could have... Said to me, Aberdeen want to sign you. This is just like schoolboy fantasy stuff. You think you're kidding me on that's just this is not reality because Aberdeen were the top team in Scotland at the time. The team I actually supported as a boy and uh, I'm from that area, as I say originally. And so, you know, that pinch yourself to believe you're telling me the truth, and it was. And you know, I didn't even. Didn't even want to speak to Alec Ferguson about the details of the contract. It was, it was a done deal as far as I was concerned. He could offer me just a, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll not pay you anything, but we'll you know just come up to Aberdeen and I'd have happily done that. So it was a dream come true in 1985 when I got the chance to sign for my boyhood heroes.
0: I don't think you're the first person that uh, Fergie just told, just sign the contract we'll worry about everything later on. We spoke to Frank McDougall a couple of days ago and he was exactly the same. Um, he only found out he was getting paid, I think, when he turned up for training on the first day, I think. So,
2: yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I certainly, honestly, genuinely wasn't caring about the finances and the money and, you know, I, I didn't. I mean, when I t- I'd offer, I didn't have an agent in those days as it wasn't the norm, but, you know, the, con- the offer from uh, Charlton, who were at the time in the, the premiership, which is obviously not what it is now, but mm-hmm. the premiership, they were in the premiership at the time. And uh, but so they offered me three times the wage, I, I was being offered a, my basic wage, and then I think about maybe more than that for the signing on fee they were going to offer as well. But the finances didn't come into it, uh, that, that's not my style anyway, and you know, I'm not really bothered, but the finances never was. And I was, you know, just um, at that stage. It, as I say, 100% not interested in the finances. It was just the, the fact that Aberdeen wanted to sign me. It was a dream come true.
0: So obviously, you say, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson's still in charge of the club, July 1985, when you when you finally sign up. Um yeah. What was that kind of first day or that first week like at the yeah. club?
2: That's a good question. It's it just literally what you would imagine. Just, am I dreaming this? Is this really happening? It, you know, is this reality? Or is it, am I, will I wake up in the morning? And if it was all over after a week and I thought, oh, well, that was a good experience. That was a chance to play with you. you know, Because I was going, in with, I was training with the first team, even mm-hmm. though I was just a, young, a youngish player. I was signed for, I think, 55,000. There was add-ons after so many games and an in, international cap. It was set up so that my, my total fee for my transfer, the only other time I was transferred for money, everything else was free transfers or no, no transfer in my career, and... Um, added up to 110,000 so you know that, that was what I went for at the time so I did a lot of the time I would train with the young boys I would train with the reserve boys because I wasn't playing in the first team because Alec McLeish William Miller were to recognised centre back so I wasn't going to walk into the team that was the other difference with Charlton at Charlton it was more they wanted me to go into their first team okay. now that, I think I was too young for that I think it, the Premiership then isn't what it is now, but you know, it would still be a big ask to play in the, the English Premiership for a, a, an 18-year-old boy. I wasn't ready for that, but the manager felt I was, and he was willing to um, initially put me into the first team. That's what he, he sold it to me, but I knew right away from Alec Ferguson, having spoke with him, that it was a longer-term mm-hmm. idea that it was more for the future I was going to me get my opportunities to go into the first team, and that, that's what it proved to be. I think the first season, I played mainly reserve games a couple of first team friendlies and things like that and then eventually made my first first team debut uh, the last game of the season against Clyde Bank and now defunct Clyde Bank and um, a good 6-0 win the week before the Scottish Cup final in 1986 when we Alec Ferguson knew I was never going to play in the, in the team because obviously I just played that one first team pre, uh, Premier League game but he knew I'd, I'd been working away hard at my game and he rewarded me but included me in the squad in the Cup final and so, in those days, it was just two subs and a living.
1: Yeah.
2: Allowed me to sit on the bench with my suit on, not dressed, kitted uh, out. But just in. because in, nowadays you've got I cast thousands, you've got 18, <laughs> 19 people on the bench. But, you know, in those days, it was just the two subs, the phys, physio, the manager, assistant manager. And here was me on the bench as well. At Hamden in the 3-0 win against Hearts. So that was a great boost to my, my conference in terms of development as well. So... And the next season after the World Cup, in I think it was uh, was it Mexico in '86.
1: Yeah, Mexico '86. Wally yeah. Miller
2: picked up an injury in, in the World Cup and was wasn't fit for the start of the season. So I actually played, I think, about half a dozen to to ten games in the first team, centre back, right back thing for more experience, and and then slipped back out the first team again, mm-hmm. and you know, and then by mid mid uh, I think it was October when Alec Ferguson left to go to Manchester United. That's when you know. Ian Porterfield came in and he he saw he gave me he gave me a kind of a new lease of life as well. Mm-hmm. You know you always learn from every manager you've played under. And, you know Ian Porterfield was good good for me as well because he he gave me chances that you know maybe I wasn't getting before or maybe I wasn't ready for before. I don't know, but he used to play me in midfield in a man marking role. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that 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 was a progression. Every football player, whether again when you're a young player, you you got to develop. And, you know, you couldn't have asked for a better manager to develop you know, under Alec Ferguson, Archie Knox and the reserves at Aberdeen. You know, that that's where the grounding really in your professional career came. Um, it wasn't all all positive uh, stuff <laughs> because Archie Knox was pretty hard on you, as I'm sure if you've spoken to other players. Uh, absolutely, probably, yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a couple of times I felt like packing my bags and coming, and, and, and it was as hard as that. You know, he made it... You, you feel so quite ha- down about things, that, you know. It's, but then that's where you had to get resilience. I'll show them, I'll show you. You know, and that's what he was looking for. And you know, that's where you get all this thing I'm speaking about. This development comes, whether it be your ability, your experience, your resilience—all the vital for a football player. because there's, there's many players who are better football players than me didn't make it in the game because maybe they didn't have that resilience or that experience experience of thinking okay I've learned from that mistake I've learned from doing that in that game I'll make sure I don't do that in the next game mm-hmm. and it's trying to put them into effect so that as you're developing you'll get better as, as basically the years go by You kind of touched
0: on it a, a little bit there Brian you obviously you, you, the first season you're at Aberdeen it's kind of more reserved team football couple of first team friendly matches etc you get that debut in the 6-0 win against Clyde Bank yeah. but the bit for me I think is I think which says so much about the, the man management ability of um, Sir Alex Ferguson is that instance where you know he he's obviously explained to you when you come in that he sees you very much as being a kind yeah. of a longer term project a, a longer term successor in the Miller McLeish defensive pairing but for him then to say well you know what you're going to be in the squad we'll stick you on the bench at Hamden for the cup yeah. even though you're not playing I mean how valuable do you think that would have been for yourself as a young player still coming through just to be around these guys who by this point you know this squad has been there seen it done it multiple times at Hamden yes. But to give massive. you that kind of bedding and get that kind of, I don't know how you how you describe it, but that kind of, that same feeling that I, I'm here, I can see what this is about and kind of build that confidence for when it does become your chance.
2: Yeah, massive, massive. And he must know that from maybe having experienced it himself as a, as a player when he was a player before he became a manager because mm-hmm. I was fortunate as well. It's like football, you do get the 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 breaks you get, but a lot of it is down to getting the breaks because it, so you're getting that, end of season finish, which was a high of getting on the bench of, of Hamden, by Wally being injured in the World Cup in 86, it meant I was going to play in the first team the following season from the start. Now, had that not happened and and you had to wait again, maybe f- at the worst maybe <laughs> the last couple of games of the next season, mm-hmm. that would be more difficult. Um, so you were forced to get that little break but I guess you just had to show that same resilience and coming back and fighting back and working hard in the reserves and just keep waiting for your chance whenever that was going to come. But for me, it was I was fortunate to get that chance early 86, yeah. 87 season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Alec Ferguson left, uh, as I say, in, in my 86, Ian Porterfield took over. And, uh, you know, as I say, he gave me opportunities that I was thankful for both at centre-back and in the midfield. I mean, there was a game at the end of the 87 season when I played in the the, the game at Rangers needed just a point, it turned out to be to win the league at Pataudry for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I was given the job to my my man, Mark Graham Soonis in midfield. So, Pataudry's full, a lot of Rangers fans there as well. And, you know, two minutes into the game, Souness takes me, horizontal challenge, caught me in the knee, booking, 20 minutes into the game, same again, he did the same thing, another booking, and he's sent off. Yeah. So then I'm thinking, what am I going to do now? I mean, my job was to mark Soonis. I don't know what to do. And I must have been obviously caught off my guard because I let Butcher get the better of I mean, in a corner and put Rangers one up, but then I made up for it by getting an equaliser and scored the equaliser to make it one each. Uh and then the game finished one each. And then of course the Rangers fans all came on the pitch and you know Rangers had obviously won the league that mm-hmm. season uh under Graham Soonis. So, you know, but that, that was a, a net opportunity. That Ian Porterfield made possible um, you know that, that season and he was a manager the following season the next season Aye. Um, and you know as I, as I keep saying in a different way totally from Alec Ferguson you know you learn things under Ian Porterfield that were, were valuable to you in your, in, your, in your football life
0: I'm kind of just really keen to touch on this really quickly because you touch on it Briefly as well, Brian, obviously Willie comes back from the 86 World Cup injured, um, which means like you said earlier on, you get an opportunity for a run of games at the start of that season. And in this run of games as well, you get your place in goals, not for the first time as it'll turn out, um, but 16th of (laughs) August, 1986, Jim Leighton has to depart the pitch injured. So you step in, keep a clean sheet as Aberdeen see off Hamilton 2-0 pathology. Was that just a spur-of-the-moment decision that you would go in the sticks or was that something that had been kind of agreed beforehand that you would be the one who would who would step in?
2: No, pretty much a spur-of-the-moment. Obviously, in those days, it was different because you had no sub-goalkeepers. You didn't have the 18 people in the squad, you know, like seven subs, including a goalkeeper. It was just two subs. So your two subs wouldn't be a goalkeeper and, uh, you know, one of them two outfield players, really. So... It was no it was never really spoken about, but it had to be spoken about when Jim was lying injured in the pitch and it came down it it's quite primitive really. It was just well I'm the tallest. Um so I'll to go and I and I sometimes played and goal on the train and just for fun at the end of training in the afternoon with the, the reserves or whatever, just to, to make up I mean you're making up the teams and training. She had a wee bit of experience in the goals, um from you know, not, not on a professional level but just in the park and the training and, and so that's what gave you the the confidence to put your hand up and say look I'll just go on the goal and thankfully didn't lose a goal similarly at Easter Road later on in my career uh, We'll
0: come out to the Hibs one later on We'll, we'll come out to well, the Hibs one later they're on
2: they're quite, The Hamilton game was quite straightforward a couple of crosses there was no <laughs> fingertip saves reaching up to the top corner to tip over the bar and like that it was just quite a straightforward 2-0 win and, and you know Job done. So you know it turns out as you say you'll cover them maybe but it was one of three times I played in the goal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um again, we'll just touch on it as well that, that 86, 87 season, of course, obviously Fergie departs from Man United in the kind of autumn time. Um for yourself, Brian, I mean, how did you take the news when he when it was announced he was leaving? Because I mean obviously this is a guy who signed you yeah. um for your boyhood heroes who's given you that opportunity to play you know, has taken into that kind of first-team squad for that cup final, etc. What was, how how did you take that news that he was leaving?
2: Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, there was some players, genuinely, who were quite happy. You know, he'd maybe given hard time, and Archie as well, who went with him, had given them hard time. So they, they were kind of relieved in some respects, because it, it was giving given them a bit of freedom that they maybe never felt they had under Alec and Archie. But for me, that wasn't the case. I, you know, I was very, very disappointed, and, at um, this early stage of your, your full-time career. And it was a, it was quite hard to, you know, go over and, and just think, oh, what do I do now? You know, it's my, my my mentor's gone, really, as well as my manager. Mm-hmm. Um, but to his credit, not, not latterly, because he's obviously retired and he's, he's had uh, the brain hemorrhage that he, he suffered in recent years as well to deal with. But right up until, you know, a number of years ago, he was always on call for you. mm mm-hmm. If you had a problem, you would you would get in touch with him by phone or text or, or a me- or a letter, and you'd get back, you know, to to your uh, letter by replying to it and things like that. So mm-hmm. he always took an interest in you, and I always thought that was amazing because I'm only one of thousands that he must have uh, managed in, in his career, and yet he took the time to reply to me. So he must have replied to other people who who had issues to deal with. He always came back. If you had a problem or an issue you wanted to his advice on he would come back with that advice so you know although he was gone he wasn't really gone but he was gone in the short term because he wasn't there to either cajole you encourage you manage you he was now gone and so as I said for me I was quite thankful that Ian Porterfield was a a good manager for me I I found him personally helpful in my, my career and his assistant Jimmy Mullen people have different opinions you know but I know as a a player who was under him as a manager the time under Ian Porterfield was was a good time um, Mm -hmm. for me personally and then after quite a relatively short time um, it was Alex Smith who became even better and so you know I was fortunate I suppose Ian Porterfield was a stepping stone to Alex Smith so Alex Ferguson was the the base Mm -hmm. and then Ian Porterfield was a stepping stone and Alex Mm -hmm. Smith Took you on to uh, uh, along with Jockey Scott to a new height in your Aberdeen career. So, I was very fortunate to have these managers that were able to lead me in that way. Mm-hmm. sense because just that was the, the perfect way for to help you again. Keep going back to this word developing. You help helping your career develop.
0: You kind of touched on it as well earlier on. Um, there's the, the goal you score the equaliser against Rangers, um, in, in the game that the, they win the league title at Pataldry. But your first goal for Aberdeen comes in March of '87. It's a must win home game against Celtic. Yeah. Um, if Aberdeen are to even try and think about being kept in the title race, yeah. um, not a bad time to grab your first goal for the club. Um, can you remember much about that one? Well, I remember it uh, quite
2: clearly. I mean, I, I'm thankful for a good record against Rangers and Celtic for goals. Yeah. I, I, I think. You know, playing against the top teams motivates you or put, turns you into a quivering wreck. You know, and you know sort how you respond to it. And that, for me, it was it was the first former. It was it always motivated me to defend as well as I could, but also when you're up for set plays to to, to try and get a, a goal. And you know, I've been very fortunate in a number of cases against Celtic and Rangers to get goals from open play. And of course, as we'll discover, you know, getting that. Uh, a goal from a penalty shootout against uh, Celtic in 90s So that was the motivation. Just because you're playing against the better teams, and the two best teams throughout my career were definitely Rangers, and you know, not not to the extent they are today, but Celtic were always, you know, a, a big team. Uh, but certainly the thing with my career, Celtic were not the team they are today. For example, yeah, uh-huh. uh, they were kind of rebuilding Parkhead under Fergus. Fergus McCann and so a lot of their, their money must have been gone off the park and so the players that they were, were signing weren't as, you know, necessarily top, top players, no disrespect to them, they were good players but they were not top, top players the way that Celtic for example today can now command the top players to, to go to their club or Rangers mm-hmm. because you know they've got that finance at clubs like Aberdeen and provincial clubs. In the, in the Premier League in Scotland don't have to attract their players. So um that 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 that's just the way it was. But you know, thankful for having a good record against Celtic and, and, and Rangers and, and scoring that goal in that, that game. It was my mum and dad's twenty fifth wedding anniversary and they were up at uh, a hotel in uh in celebrating their twenty fifth anniversary that night. So that was a really special night to, to well, there we go. Get. That that was how I celebrated it that night with Mum and Dad's silver wedding anniversary
0: excellent great stuff um and that 86 87 season it's a real breakthrough one for you um in a way so there's 23 appearances in total you score three goals and the running towards the back end of that season so i mean you must have been just thinking yourself right now is hopefully the time for me to make that kind of real kind of step into the next season and kind of keep pushing on
2: yeah that's good i mean i looked at it gary it's just if you looked over the season little stepping stones each season a little Bit more appearances than the one before, and a little bit more the next season, and that 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 was for me the way it, it happened. Some people come in and play every game virtually in the first season, young or old, you know, and that's just how it works for them. But for me, it was a gradual introduction and along the lines of what Alec Feldman said it would be. You know, mm-hmm. he was spot on with his his call to me when I signed that you'll you'll we'll gradually introduce you to the first team, and that's basically what happened. I didn't realize it was going to happen gradually over the four or five seasons leading up to the Cup Final in nineteen ninety when you became a regular in the team, you know, and and got the reward all that, the patience, because it was patience, because when you're playing in the team one week, and then dropped out the team, probably sometimes because of your forum maybe because you weren't playing as well as you could have, but on the whole, it was because basically Alec McLeish or Willie Miller were fit again, Yeah. so no matter how well you had played before, then you just had to accept you'd be back out, either on the bench or in the the stand, because there's only two subs or three subs, and so that's just how it was, and you know, and that's how, for example, I see under Ian Porterfield, he helped me because during the, the, the seasons three and four or whatever, after I signed for Aberdeen, he would accommodate me and play me right back and play me in midfield. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, OK, there was the odd time I, you mentioned goalkeeper. Also okay. up front, up front, I would get thrown up front in games just to try and get a late goal. Equalising a, a goal or two down, a couple of minutes to go, you go playing up front alongside, you know, whoever the forward was it on the day, you know, so you, you kind of played in all the positions at, at different yeah. days but, you know, that that's um, that was a progression just each year you were getting a few more games a few more games gave you more confidence to take into the next season and then it was up to you to make it work for the next season as well rather than lose the momentum that you were gaining from the number of games you'd, you'd got that season and as you say that was a key season to get quite a number of games not just on the in the Premier League but just Play, playing in Europe as well, you know, you're playing uh, alongside Wally and Alec, and maybe at right back in, in a game. Mm-hmm. And I remember, was it Fearnood we played against a, a, a qualifier? And if we didn't win, it was like away goals you lost on. It was always tight games and, and things like that. So, but again, great experience to play in European games um, alongside Balik and Wally. Who I learned from Wally, but I think I learned, I learned the most from Alec, both in terms of his has his his ability on the park. And some of the things that he was saying, like you say about Alec Ferguson leaving, how did I find mm-hmm. that? Well, more than substituted by the fact that Big Alec was able to give you a lot of advice and help and friendship, and a player sense rather than a manager player sense. Alec was there to, to take take on the mantle that you know Alec Ferguson left. Have you said maybe an answer to the question before? But-
0: that's interesting. That's that's an interesting. Yeah, take on it because you've almost just taken like the next question out of my uh-huh. out of my mouth almost. It was gonna I was gonna say like because because for a lot of periods of time during your early time at Aberdeen, you were coming in to play alongside one of Alec or Willie, depending on who was yeah. not able to play. And I guess latterly it would have been Willie because he obviously was starting to have a lot more injury issues. Mm, yes, out of the two, which one did you prefer playing alongside?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a kind of um, question you're kind of who's your favourite between the two of them. But it wasn't who's a favourite; they were both yeah. unbelievable players in their own rights but for me personally I, I definitely get more uh, out of playing alongside Big Alec because of the. as you see from it I mean Alec as a manager has done better than Wally because Alec's man management it was good mm-hmm. as a manager you know in terms of when he got to become manager at Motherwell Rangers Scotland and in England as well and that's down to Alec's man management skill and he was already shown signs of that as a player and okay. so he would be a not just a good friend off the park to you, but he was also able to talk you through games on the park. So I think that's why I enjoy playing with Alec, even though we're quite similar to centre-backs, rather than Wally was a sweeper in those days, so he was covering you as a, when you were a centre-back. Wally was a kind of sweeper to sweep up in and behind. But, you know, it's just a different way. Wally was more, I think, as a person, Wally was more kind of singular and in, in, individual. And it was, Wally was good for Wally, and made him the best player, really, in many people's eyes in, in Aberdeen's history, in, in a lot of ways, because he was so dedicated to himself being successful for the team for him. And he would help you, definitely help you as a young player, but not in the same way that Big Alec helped you. In. And if yeah. that makes sense, but that was how it was, yep. you know, just the way he talked you through things and helped you through things. And even after a game, talking through mistakes or things you'd done wrong. You know, and, and maybe Wally wasn't that tight. Wally would would be washed on our way home. You know, and that that was criticism against Wally. That's just how they were different guys. Yeah.
0: yeah, which is what it takes in a dressing room as well. Though you need different characters and different Absolutely. people, and different personalities. That's the same for any sort of team, totally. whether it's in the kind of office or on the football pitch or whatever. So, yeah. um <clears throat> the next season that um eighty seven. 88 isn't it we're at now yeah. I mean like you, f- you feature really consistently in the starting lineup at the start of that season I think you start each of the League Cup ties as we make our way back to Hamden and League Cup you even score in the semi-final uh, yeah. at Paradise against Dundee yeah. so you must have been like really looking forward to the prospect of your first ever major final you know being involved in it yeah. you know potentially starting or being on the bench but then you suffer an injury at uh, Tynecastle against mm-hmm. Hearts which mm-hmm. rules you out for the next month it means you miss out on that 3-3 draw
2: yeah.
0: at Hamden that Rangers eventually win 5-3 on a personal level for you, Brian, like how how disappointing was that for you to yeah. miss that final?
2: And then I guess, for
0: you know, I, I think of Brian Irvin as well as being a real team player. How gutted would you have been as well for the team just to lose in such a manner?
2: Oh, yeah, gutted for the team. But yeah, two two questions there. The first one was, yeah, very disappointed to miss the final because I'd played in all the games leading up to the League Cup, including, as you say, the scoring of the goal against uh, Dundee in the semi-final. So to then miss in the final... And it maybe wasn't totally injury because I obviously had the injury and that was affecting me, but that was enough to put me down the, the pecking order of, of being automatically being yeah elected because I think the, the choice would still be Alec and Woolley, but maybe you could have been more of a chance of being a right back or a midfield role in the game there. But because you'd been injured, you know the guys who were in position were ahead of you in the manager's uh, opinion for that game and you had to accept that. And that was just it, yeah. You had to just—you're not going to say because you—you you, you could take that and uh, and just think, oh, it's great. I'm I'm not playing, so I'm happy. You know, you're not happy, but you still want the team to do well. But I mean, you want the team to ideally win the cup, and it just didn't happen. It was dramatic, and it was apparently shootout that we lost to Rangers. So it was a disappointment. Just sitting in the stand, um, thinking, okay, the three games or four games, sorry, leading up, you played a big part. You didn't play a part in the final, but at the end of the day, the winning of the cup would have still been special. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, the opportunity would come in later years. But at that moment, you didn't realise that you just thought yeah. that was a chance to be at least part of an Aberdeen successful cup winning team, and mm-hmm. for the first time. And it was, you know, it was, it was going to have to wait at least another year or later in the season for that the next cup, Scottish yeah. Cup. So it was a, ma- a massive disappointment. But ironically. It's a, prof- a professional disappointment because it, nobody really would think you're sitting in the stand. You're anymore. You're disappointed. Why that are you're, you're not playing anyway? It's just professional. You're disappointed that we haven't managed to win a cup that you played quite a big part in in the, the, the lead up to the final. It's not the final itself. Yeah,
0: exactly. And then and then having scored in the semi as well. You know, it's such a key part to get to the, to
2: Hamden and everything. Um... Yeah. Well, the the, the semi final. That was another that's another significant night because after the that day of the, the semi final, I scored the goal. I actually, proposed to my wife to be, uh, so to ask the to marry me. So that, we became engaged that day. So that was the night of the, the Dundee game when we, we capped it all. We getting to winning the goal to to win. I think Bobby Connor got the other goal to win to right, yeah. two 0 that night. Tanadice and a great atmosphere for the the Dons fans. So that was a special day. And, you know that there you go. And, and a month later, the the high of that moment. Because it was play, played every month, in the, the League Cup in those days was all over by about November.
0: That's right, yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah.
2: So with the semi-final October, we got engaged, scored in the semi-final, high as a kite, and then a month later, you're in the stand watching the team lose to and penalties to Rangers to to lose the cup final and not win the cup, the uh, League Cup against Rangers.
0: The highs and lows of football. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. It,
2: just, it just makes you realise You know, you watch it now and you think. Oh, but actually, that's, that's what happened when I played. You know, it's just the football's the same. The game's changed in terms of the finances, obviously, both mm-hmm. Scotland, especially in England. But it's the same game, and it was the same game for the guys before me. And you know, you used to meet ex-players from the seventies and sixties who played before you, and of course, you do lose that. Oh, you you don't know what it's like now because it's all changed. But you know, that's just like the young boys today would be saying that that people from 20 30 years ago that I played you won't know what it's like now you do, it's just the same game it's just there's certain things that have changed over the years just with, with circumstances, you know, I think TV money and things like that seems to have made more money available to some of the owners, are quite wealthy and prepared to and put their money into football in a way that wasn't the case maybe so much and, uh, in my day I think for example, my day, Dick Donald was was better known for how astute he was as a, as a chairman as opposed to you know, the money that he would pump into the club. But that, yes. that's because that was his skill, was the knowledge that he had in business as opposed to nowadays it would be how much money can you put into the club. And I suppose in football terms in Scotland, David, uh, you know, the, the Murray years changed that and where it became more more... Chairman would come in, or directors would come in who had a lot of money to pump into the club. And that's where it changed over the, the time from Dick Donald's day, where it was about how much experience in terms of your business sense you could, because Dick Donald was a, a very shrewd and uh, good businessman. And he just applied that to football. As you said earlier in the previous question you asked me, you know, there's th- certain things in different works. It's the same principles in football. And it's just applying them. It's the same in business as it is for, for football. Just Obviously, you're running about a football park. When it's football and business, you're sitting in an office or building something. So but it's the same principles behind what makes people tick.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, At the turn of that year, Ian Porterfield brings in Charlie Nicholas. <laughs> to mm-hmm. What were your memories of Charlie coming in the door? Um, And then, you know, what sort of player and teammate was Charlie to have around the, kind of, around the place?
2: Oh, I've got total respect for Charlie. When he came to Petard, it was like it was definitely a big signing. I mean, it was unbelievable how we managed to uh, get Charlie Nicholas from Arsenal. And so, what a signing that was! And there was just an air about him. And uh, you know, really, and when you watched watched him in training, he, he was silky smooth. And although he, you know he had not been playing regularly with Arsenal, and his, his fitness maybe wasn't the best, his maybe his lifestyle in London had been affecting how he was as an athlete.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But he was still. You could just see a quality all through his game. Um, and he did okay in his first season under Ian Porterfield, but when Alex Smith took over and the start of the next season, you know, they got Alec and Jockey got him fit, and that took him up a different level back up to, a, you know, probably as good as any time, apart from his early days, maybe uh, before he went to Arsenal or when he was at Arsenal. That's, you know, because he was just such a skillful player, and it was unbelievable that we had managed to get hold of him. And in some games he you play anything? Why? How could? How could he do that? You know, his, his skill was was as good as any I'd seen any player uh, be capable of, both in the matches and in training. And you know, he was a joy to play with. And you know, although he was quite big time when he arrived, I thought generally was he was overall quite humble. And he, you know, he he, he kind of was a good teammate and, and and looked out for you as well. So he he was a he was a, a great signing uh, by by Importer and we, we, you know, we, we saw the benefit of his his, his skill in the, the second season. Yeah, yeah. That, that season, half of the season roughly, we didn't really see the best of him under Ian Porterfield. but without a doubt, we saw it under Alex Smith and Jockey Scott era.
0: Absolutely, I mean, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I I I'm not gonna say I personally knew Charlie, but I I was. I had somebody in, in my close family network who was very yeah. acquainted with Charlie when he was here in Aberdeen. And I think a lot of time, you know, I think Charlie even recognized that Aberdeen was a really, really good place for him having kind of escaped the chaos of London and everything. And maybe out of the goldfish bowl of kind of Glasgow as well, obviously, because he was such a big player at Celtic, yeah. that he loved his time at Aberdeen um, and, and loved the kind of environment and the, the city and, and the surrounding area. And it was just kind of perfect place for him at that moment in time in his career. um. Well, kind of fast forward a little bit, because during the summer, obviously, Ian Porterfield resigns. It's just not quite worked out for for Ian Porterfield. Too many draws, I think, is the Uh the big issue. Um, He's replaced with the co-manager setup of um, Alex Smith, Jockey Scott, Drew Jarvie comes back in as well as assistant. Um, What are your kind of recollections of that management team in particular? Uh,
2: top, Top management team. But, I mean, again, unfortunately, just finishing me in Porterfield, you said too many draws. He was so unlucky. I mean, with three three games against Indiana United in the semi final of the Scottish Cup. Uh, yeah, you know the fine line between success and failure. It's quite cliche, but it can be so fine sometimes. It's just a little break. And yeah, unfortunately in Portfield, with the League Cup final against Rangers and penalties, losing that one. You know, it's so fine. It's just the wrong side each time, and you know, it's just that bit of luck or whatever. He didn't have it, and he could have been a really successful manager because it, I think in the league, too many draws, but, you know, um, it finished, I think, fourth under Ian Porterfield, which I think the thing was, though, Aberdeen had a really good team and that was the thing that Alex Smith and Jockey Scott realised that they were a good team, the, the, the majority of which had been under Alex Ferguson and been successful under Alex Ferguson. So they recognised that because they were... Scottish people, rather Neil Portfield and Jimmy Mullen coming from England, it maybe wasn't as obvious to them that this was a, a really good team that was capable of, in those days winning the league. You know, even though nobody's won the league since Aberdeen in eighty five, so these were capable of winning the league. You know, like McLeish, you have Willie Millers, you know, that were still the heart of the team, and um, they definitely brought brought the best out of the, the players and the signings they made. Yeah. As well, you know there were some really good signings that they brought in the Dutch boys, Theo and the goals gave us a real heart up the middle of the team. It was was um, good to build round, and so these these were Alex Smith. Are, you know, I would have to say probably my my most um, the best manager I played under because you know I played under Mcross County as well towards the end of my career. But you know, despite Alex Ferguson being the best manager for you know because he's a He's like a global icon, but I mean, Alex Smith did did the most for me and, you know, hopefully in some ways I've I've repaid him by, you know, playing your part in a a successful 1989-90 season where we did so well in the Cups, but also did reasonably well in the league by finishing runners-up in the league. So, you know, without doing the treble, you, you couldn't get a more successful season
0: and so that wraps up this week's episode of the APZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 76 as we wind our way towards the century where we'll look back on our clash with Celtic before we'll preview our fixtures with Sevco 5088 Limited and St. And we'll also bring you part two of our chat with Brian Irvin. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Stan free.
1: Yes, the fixture with Sevco that none of us will be attending. I was thinking as well that on the Hansen chat, obviously they are a group made up of three brothers, three relatives, and Aberdeen have had three uh, relatives play for us, or be employed by us at one point in our history. The Betts? Nope. Well, maybe, well, probably, but that's not who I'm thinking about. Pat Linens. Pat Linans. Miksu, Mixu, Mar- Mixu, Marcus, and Miko. Miko, there we go. Excellent. Signed in signed in an incredible transfer window that also saw chance Jansen make his way oh. to these to these here shores. They were Jimmy, weren't they, they were Jimmy signings. Jimmy's first winter, the first uh, <laughs> glimpse into what winter transfer dealings were gonna be like under under old JC. Ah the,
0: the day, those days. Eh, those days. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with the Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest of stop taking supporters, Claudry Stadium, for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.